Hello, everyone. Hey, how are y'all? We are doing well. You know, I'm going to ask every week. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, I am Ashley. And I am Tania. You're listening to another episode of Hue I Do, a podcast that is going to give you a history lesson on marriages and weddings of enslaved people. This was an episode. I think probably of all the episodes we've had, this may be my favorite or at least in the top three. I I can agree. Um, I love learning about our history. And so this was definitely an episode that you absolutely need to tune in to and definitely keep a mental note just because this information is something that you may want to explain to your children and your grandkids in the future. Yes, there's a lot that, you know, our families tell us and some stuff we get in school, but maybe we don't realize everything or maybe you know we're young and we don't really like it doesn't hit the same because you're young but then when it's like you're older and you're really hearing about these experiences and what people went through it's like wow because you can feel that as like an adult and really empathize with what people our age, you know, or even younger were going through. So all of this to say, this is going to be an amazing episode. Yes. Enjoy. So when did weddings start costing more than a Prius, y'all? And how do you cut wedding costs without it looking like a sad little graduation party? Well, you can automatically cut your floral budget by over 50% by DIYing your wedding flowers with Flower Moxie. Flower Moxie is a DIY flower company that ships all over the U.S. They sell gorgeous wholesale flowers that you can build yourself in only a couple of days before your wedding. We're talking about bouquets, flower arches, centerpieces. They got a tutorial for everything, okay? So the tricky parts like quantities, color palettes, and floor recipes are all figured out for you. They have over 40 collections to choose from. It's kind of like Blue Apron, but for flowers. Also, they have such a fun, inclusive brand. And their website literally says things like, we won't leave you with your boobs flapping in the wind. I mean... How can you not want to exchange BFF necklaces instantly? So if you want to cut your flower budget in half, double your bragging rights, and create the absolute best wedding memories by building your bouquets with your bridesmaids, order your DIY flowers from Flower Moxie by going to flowermoxie.com slash do. And you get free shipping when you spend $500 or more. You also get access to their DIY masterclass and customer-only tutorials. Fancy. We have a very, very special guest on the show with us today. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Tony. I'm so delighted to be here. I am 
Angelita Reyes. I'm Professor Emerita at Arizona State University. I am also the founder and president of Literacy Interactives. Literacy Interactives is a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Virginia, and we promote the interactive literacies of culture, history, and technology as dynamic tools that can advance new perspectives for social justice. So thank you so much for inviting me. This is an honor. Thank you for coming on the show and yes. all of your amazing work that you're doing. We are so excited to have you on because we're giving some more value, I believe, to our listeners by providing a historical take and understanding of kind of where we are today by having to go back and kind of look at, you know, where are like ancestors and like family back, you know, generations ago, what life is like for them. But more than anything, what did marriages look like and what did weddings look like? Definitely in the period of time where a lot of our family members were enslaved. So really, really excited about this conversation. I can't say it enough. I'll probably say it at least three or four more times, but we are thrilled to have you on. Tell us uh, a little bit about how long have you been at Arizona State? Um, what led you to start your nonprofit? A little bit of, you know, a little bit of background for us. Yes, I'd be delighted. Well, I've been <laughs> at Arizona State since 2003, and my area is cross-cultural studies. I'm particularly interested in the equality of men and women. And of course, this is interdisciplinary. It branches into history, into culture, technology. I don't mm -hmm. think I could ever get tired of promoting the advancement, the equality of men and women. Now we have different terminologies as the years go by, but it still becomes the same thing. You all are the next generation. You're carrying this baton for equality. We have different platforms. Some of us are medical doctors, we're technicians, we're nurses, all of this. All of this is needed to promote this equality of men and women of gender, of diversity, equity, inclusion. So that's, that's what motivates me. And right now with my nonprofit Literacy Interactives, I work as a public historian promoting new approaches to historic preservation and social justice. So I weave this idea of equality, men, women, historic preservation, social positive social transformation. You're doing the work. Yes. <laughs> you are doing <laughs> the work. And that is so, so necessary because, oh, we've come such a long way, but there's still so much more for us to do and be able to achieve. And uh, I just love that. I, yes. I love that. I was, I was on uh your nonprofit website um, earlier in the week. And I, I was just, I was blown away, truly. So thank you again for all of your amazing work. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm, I wish I could have wings and fly to Virginia anytime that I need to be there. I'm based in Arizona, mm -hmm. as I mentioned. And because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to get to Virginia as often as I would like to. Mm -hmm. But 
We're using technology just as we're using technology right now, not meeting in person. This mm -hmm. is what I have been doing for the last two years, as I explained earlier. And if we are able to, as the months go by in this new year, I'm sure many of us will be having meetings more in person than in the last two years. So thank you. I appreciate your support. In oh, this area. oh yes, you're welcome. You're welcome. And I completely agree. I think this is the year where I think we have some pandemic fatigue. And then also with, you know, the ability for vaccines and boosts and all of the different things. I think we're 2022 is going to be more of what we're used to doing. So I'm, I'm really hoping you're able to get back to Virginia as often as you'd like um, this year. Thank Perfect. you. You're welcome. Well, we are now going to play a quick game of this or that. Our listeners know that this is a game we play every single week, and it allows you to basically pick between one option or the other um, and explain why. So because you are our special guest, we are going to let you go first, then Tania is going to answer, and then we'll circle back up. So four quick rounds, and I wanted to, you know, just stick with wedding themes, of course, but go with something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue. So each round is based off those four, I guess, kind of wedding traditions or elements or what have you. So to start for the something old, would you prefer to have a velvet duster robe? And this is, you know, you getting ready on the wedding day. So like velvet duster robe or vintage leather cover for your vow book, maybe something from a family member or something that um, you found at an antique shop. A duster velvet robe. Okay. Why so? I like velvet. A hundred years ago in the, in the 20th century, mm -hmm. I was a seamstress. Oh. I, yes, yes, ma'am. I would make all my clothes and I love, I just love the touch of velvet. I agree. I love the texture and it can be so uh, rich looking and we mm -hmm. don't wear velvet a lot anymore. So that's special for me. I completely agree. Side note, I meant to get a velvet robe as I was getting for, you know, for me getting ready on my wedding day and I completely forgot, but that's one thing I, I kind of regret. So <laughs> I agree with you there. What about you, Tania? So I think I will go with the book cover. I'm actually in the process of trying to figure out what kind of book I'm going to use on that big day. And so I really like the idea of getting it like an antique or like an older book and, you know, making it into my vow book. So I think I'll go that direction. Very nice. Mm -hmm. I like that. I think both answers are honestly good. I love a good leather anything. Um, so can't go too wrong either way. Okay. So for something new, would you prefer to have a new pearl veil? So a veil with little pearls all, you know, throughout the entire, the length of the veil or pearl colored heels. So something, you know, not too ivory, but you know, that nice kind of like pearl sheen. Like a pearl veil. Okay. Why, why more the veil than the shoes? I think because people would readily see this veil and what it symbolizes. And pearls are beautiful. Pearls are elegant. You know, we have this, these images 
from, I don't know, maybe from our elderly aunts, our great aunts Mm -hmm. wearing pearls. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes there's satire about women who, um, oh, I just grabbed my pearls. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why there would be pearls. Those those are images from the movies and from literature and so on. Mm -hmm. Pearls are still beautiful. Good answer. All right. Tania, what about you? I absolutely am in love with the pearl veil. I think that's something that you don't usually see. Um, And I'm actually kind of surprised at that, to be honest. So I will go with the pearl veil. Good answer. Mm -hmm. I would also agree with both of you. I love a good pearl veil. I've actually seen one or two recently. And I, again, wish I would have grabbed, but you know, we're beyond it. It's fine. (laughs) Um, All right. So for something borrowed, would you prefer to borrow your grandmother's perfume or favorite necklace from your mom? Definitely a necklace. I'm a necklace and earring person. Necklaces are elegant. They um, attract the, uh, their people look at the neck, the neckline. Mm Mm-hmm. And so definitely a necklace, whether it's pearl necklace, whether it's diamond, gold, silver, a wooden necklace, definitely a necklace. Okay. Tania? I think in this case, although I would love to borrow my grandmother's perfume, I think I will go with borrowing my mom's necklace. And I think, well, for one, um, my grandmother is no longer with us. And so... I think my mom would be very, very uh, surprised that I would want to borrow one of her necklaces for the wedding. So I would go with the necklace. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. I think I would do the same. Necklace from my mama. Um, all right. Final round. Something blue. Mm-hmm. So would the something blue be a cerulean wedding accent color? Or just having your wedding by the ocean. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) The wedding by the ocean. Mm. I have lived in landlocked places for over 30 years. And I love the ocean. I will give a a shout out to my beloved daughter who recently got married, as you know, Mm -hmm. Ashley. Yes. And she was, she wanted to be on the beach on the Pacific Ocean. So we were in La Jolla and it was just beautiful to be near the ocean. It was a bit chilly for me coming from Arizona. um, 70 degrees was cold, (laughs) but it was fantastic to be on the ocean. So definitely the Pacific is so blue, as you know. Wow. Mm. To be honest, Uh, that would be a dream. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It was awesome. That just sounds so lovely. (laughs) I wish I could change my my entire like (laughs) wedding location now. Mm -hmm. I always said that I wanted to get married like near the water. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, you know, that's not what I'm doing right now. But I think I've always dreamed of that. Um, But of course, life happens. And so I'm definitely going to choose the wedding near the ocean like mm-hmm. yes that's a dream it maybe is for, maybe for like a 10-year renewal or something like that that's <laughs> a good idea yeah 
That's a good idea. Uh, it's just something about the ocean that is just so peaceful and calming and just beautiful, especially if you can, you know, like go to the right beaches or right, you know, kind of ocean side um, kind of cities where the water is blue and not green or brown. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just something about it. It. I think we're all probably overdue for some beach time or, you know, ocean oh, yes. time. Definitely. I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Perfect. That was, that was a four rounds of this or that. Um, but now we are going to go into our conversation. So again, we're talking about antebellum weddings amongst enslaved people. And we're talking about kind of what marriages looked like then and courtships and, you know, and even the wedding, of course. So again, we're excited to have this conversation with you and all right, Tania, you can kick it off. First question, before we discuss weddings and marriages during this time, can you explain what courtship looked like back then? Yes, yes. What did courtship look like? We have to keep in mind the context of slavery. And of course, that context can be very painful as we know our history with slavery, the brutality, the fact that enslaved people were chattel. They were treated as objects, farm equipment. They had the status of animals. Legally, they had the status of animals. Mm. So despite all of this horror, all this brutality, this pain, there was also love on the plantations. Now, this may seem like a contradiction to many people, but we have to keep in mind that slavery itself was a contradiction, right? Full of contradictions, Mm -hmm. full of contradictions. Yeah. And I often share this. I want my students to understand this. And sometimes it's difficult to understand that. People had inhumane treatment, but that does not mean that they considered themselves chattel, right? Right. Right. Correct. So we want to honor them. We talk about enslaved people now as opposed to people who were slaves. They were Mm -hmm. enslaved. They were in this situation because Mm -hmm. the situation was imposed on them. Right. So even though they did not have the legal status to marry, they did marry. They did fall in love. They did miss their loved ones. And they did court. Now, the courting, and we, I'm so glad you used this word because it puts it in a historical context. Mm-hmm. It's not dating. It's not, hey, going out. Right. Yeah. But it did happen in spite of their context as being enslaved people. Men and women did court. They would be someone on the same plantation Um, They could meet someone, they would fall in love. But at the same time, we know that they could be sold away from that loved one. And that's the pain. That's the pain of courtship. Toni Morrison, one of my favorite authors, has a character in Beloved who 
goes to another plantation to meet a woman, to meet the woman that he's in love with. And this woman becomes known as a 30-mile woman because he walked 30 miles. Can you imagine that? This character's name is Sixo. And so there was this little passage that I would like to share with your listeners. Mm-hmm. And Morrison is describing Sixo and what he does when he's walking on the weekends. And I would just read this. So this is about Sixo, who's going to this other plantation. Okay. Once he plotted down the minute a 30-mile trip to see a woman, he left on a Saturday when the moon was in the place where he wanted it to be, arrived at her cabin before church on Sunday, and had just enough time to say good morning before he had to start back again so he'd make the field call on time Monday morning. He had walked for 17 hours, Mm. sat down for one, turned around and walked some more. Hallie and the Pauls, these are other characters on the plantation, turned around and they said the whole day covering Sixo's fatigue, they ate no potatoes that day, listening to Sixo when he came back to the plantation. So when we think of that, What does this mean, this 30-mile woman that Morrison is creating and beloved? It's this image of love, empowerment, and defiance to the fact that he Mm -hmm. lives on one plantation, she lives on another. Now, this is Morrison's historical novel, but in reality, we do know that there were men and women who had relationships, who courted, if you will, on, from with people on other plantations. They called this going abroad to court, abroad relationships, or cross-plantation relationships. Now, many times they would have to get permission from the slaveholder to leave the plantation. And we can see in this passage, Sixo leaves the plantation without permission. He has to sneak off and he walks. I can't even imagine walking 30 miles anywhere. Yeah, me neither. I can't either. (laughs) Right, right. But it happened. It it could happen. So I, I, I appreciate having the chance to begin talking about the context of courtship. And all the time when we talk about courtship and marriage and people loving each other, we put quotes around these terms in the context of slavery. Wow. Wow. I'm like speechless. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm like, I can't imagine not being able to see my partner every single day or having to walk 30 miles just to see him. And just for a second, not even for like, oh, you're going to spend the entire day. It's literally just for a few hours. Yeah. So then you can turn around and make it back to work essentially yeah it gives a true definition to distance makes the heart grow fonder but it also reminds us that like the our ability to date in modern times as it is now is such a privilege like yeah we (laughs) we don't have really a lot of other considerations that are at play so even for them to be able to find love and to want to court one another 
um, or, you know, be courted through that time frame. It had so many life or death implications just to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there were these abroad relationships. There were the relationships on the plantation. And there was this, I don't want to say wonderful, but there was this defiance despite the brutal context of slavery because they were human beings and they were people who loved, who could love, Mm -hmm. who knew that they wanted to be with other people, who wanted to have children and who loved their children in spite of slavery. Oh, my goodness. I guess also, so how long did enslaved people date before deciding to get married? Like, you know, again, I'm thinking in modern times and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it could be a few years or a year and a half, but these are luxuries again that have been afforded to us. So what did that time frame kind of look like then? Again, it depended on where they were Mm -hmm. and what kind of slaveholders they had. Now, mm. one of the sources that, that's available to us to, to visit, um, to read about slave marriages would be the oral slave narratives that were collected during the 1930s for the Federal Writers Project. And there, there are many, many narratives from all over the South. And some of the motifs or the topics in these narratives have been identified And there are hundreds of references to marriage. And again, keeping in mind, we're talking about marriage in the context of slavery. So again, it depends on who were the people. Were they young? Were they old? Did their slaveholders allow them to court? Uh, Were they sold away to other plantations? And one of the, I like the federal, the, the narratives from the Federal Writers Project because we have the voices the words, the voices, the temperament, the tone, the emotions mm-hmm. of enslaved, of once enslaved people. Remember, these narratives were collected during the 1930s after slavery. And now we're putting more emphasis on the importance of these narratives. There is one woman from South Carolina who was interviewed in 1936. And um, I should also say many of these narratives are in dialect. And some of them have been translated out of that vernacular into standard English. Mm, But there's this one narrative that I'm going to read. It's in dialect. And she's talking about how her husband, and mind you, enslaved people talked about their husbands and their wives, right? Mm -hmm. They refer to them, this is my husband, this is my wife. So this is what Miss Louisa Davis says in an interview. My husband was a slave of the Sloan's plantation and didn't get to see me as often as he wanted to. And of course, as the housemaid then, that's what I was. There was times I couldn't meet him like he wanted me to. And us had some grief over that. But he got a pass twice a week from his master, Master Tommy Sloan, to come to see me. Sam was a field hand and drive the wagon way to Charleston once a year with cotton and always bring back something pretty for me. So again, that idea of love, of gifts, despite the situation. Mm. Wow. And the fact that 
I don't want to call him his owner. I don't want to mm-hmm. say that, but he allowed him you get twice a week, you know, mm-hmm. which even in the like how despicable, of course, it is to even own somebody um, and have people be property still having a little bit of humanity, even though there may be economic drivers behind it, but to allow for that to even occur. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, Ashley, here's another narrative that I identified from the Federal Writers Project. This one has been, quote unquote, translated from the vernacular. It's in standard English. Okay. This is by Lucianne Dunn, 90 years old in Raleigh, North Carolina. And her story is, also, is very beautiful. And we can see here similarities that we, we may be familiar with. Your parents allowing you to be with someone or not allowing you. The protocol, the morality. Okay, you, you'll see all of this happening. It's a little longer if you, if you can, okay. you know, That's bear fine. with me. Okay, Let's go for it. Okay. <laughs> I thought this was beautiful. She's 90 years old. And she's recounting this to the interviewer. It was in the Little Baptist Church where I first saw Jim Dunn, and I fell in love with him. He said that he loved me too. But it was three Sundays before he asked to see me home. We walked a mile home in front of my mother. I was so happy. It felt like one half mile to my home. We ate cornbread and turnips for dinner, and night came before he went home. My mother would not let me walk him to the gate. I knew. So I just sat on the porch and said goodnight. He came every Sunday for a year and finally proposed. I saw my mother and I told her again and again, I thought we should be allowed. But she said no. She said, all right, but only if you sat on the porch So one Sunday night, I did walk with Jim to the gate and stood under honeysuckle that smelled so sweet. I heard the big old bullfrogs a-croaking by the river and the whippoorwills a-hollering in the woods. There was a big yellow moon, and I guess Jim did love me. Anyway, he said so and asked me to marry him, and he squeezed my hand. I told him that I'd think it over, and I did. And we saw each other the next Sunday, and I told him yes. He had not kissed me yet, but the next Sunday, he asked my mother. She said that she would have to talk with me and let him know. Well, all that week, she talked to me, telling me how serious getting married is and that it lasts a powerful long time. I told her that I knew that but that I was ready to try it and that I intended to make a go of it anyhow. On Sunday night, my mother told Jim that he could have my hand in marriage. You should have seen that black boy grin. He came to me without a word and picked me up out of the chair. And right there in the moonlight, he kissed me right before my mother, who was crying. The next Sunday, We were married in the Baptist church. I had a new white dress, though times were hard. We lived together for 55 years, and we always loved each other. 
And now the interviewer says, the old lady with her long white hair bowed her head and sobbed for a moment. And then she began again unsteadily. We had eight children, but only four of them are now living. I can't be here so much longer now because I'm getting too old and feeble and I want to go to gym anyhow. Mm. The old woman wiped her eyes. I think of him all of the time. It seems like we're young again when I smell honeysuckle and see a yellow moon. So we can see these wonderful little motifs, you know, asking the mother, waiting. You don't kiss, you don't, you meet at church. Mm -hmm. This is where so many people would meet, the churches that they were allowed. And when we say church, we mean it as an institution and not necessarily as a building at that time, right? Right, right. It could be out in the woods, out in the forest, uh, in the slave quarters. So it's the institution of church, the institution uh, in, in which people came together to worship. And that was even now as you know, you still go to church. You can meet someone <laughs> alongside other ways to meet. Oh them, yeah! Right? Oh yeah! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> oh wow! But such a beautiful story, though. Yeah. Like, and there's there are others like it, Tania. Such a beautiful story. I love that. Like getting the that, approval. Yes, but but not only getting the the approval, but like the fact that he pursued her and he waited. You know, these days, men don't really do that. I mean, like, unless, like, unless they really, really like you, or if they want you to be their wife one day, of course, they will pursue you, but not like Mm -hmm. this, not like this. You don't really see that. So at all, I love it at all. Yes. Yes. Very moving. Yes, for sure. So with that being said, okay, so now there were so many couples that I guess essentially got engaged. And for some, there may have been, you know, like a ring or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But can you kind of tell us and kind of show us or, you know, talk us through what those weddings look like, you know, who was there? What did they look like? Was there food, music, you know, just paint the picture. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ashley. I love Painting pictures and telling <laughs> stories for history. Yes. So maybe I should share with the readers what I do mm-hmm. to look at the fact. Mm-hmm. Oh, someone is this age. Someone lived here. Someone lived in Durham, North Carolina. And those are the facts. But Toni Morrison also tells us we have the truths. Mm. And the truths can inform the facts. But the truth has a longer narrative than the facts. So what I would do if I have a day, a hot summer day in 1937 in in the South, I know it's not going to snow. And so I will go to the public records and I would say, hey, it's one hot summer day in 1937, right? 103-year-old Tempe Herndon sat in her small front yard in Durham, North Carolina, as she was being interviewed by Travis Jordan, a fact, And he was a federal field worker for the Federal Writers Project. And he's interviewing formerly enslaved people about their lives, about how they married, what was important for them. So Mrs. Durham, now this is what I want to do here. 
she's always referred to as Tempe Herndon Durham. But because she married, I want this, this reality, this, this um, naming of her to be just as important as her story, as her memory. So I want to call her Mrs. Durham because she speaks lovingly about life with her husband, Exeter Durham, whom she had married when they were enslaved. And she recalls this wedding day on the plantation. And she refers to it, that day, that moment for her as a wedding. And she speaks in, in dialect here. Exeter Dunn made me a wedding ring. He made out of a big red button with his pocket knife. He done cut it so round and polished it so smooth that to me, it looked like a red satin ribbon tied around my finger. That show was a pretty ring. I wore it for about 50 years. She appears to have a sharp memory about her wedding day. She's, a, she's proud of this polished plastic ring that her husband made for her. Now, she describes that it was a festive occasion on the porch of the Plantation Manor, the big house. Um, they call the Plantation Manor the big house, the mansion. She also remembers that Marza George and Miss Betsy attended these festivities. But more important for us, she discusses the music, the dancing, the singing, the food at this wedding. Now, they were allowed to have the, the uh, ceremony right on the porch of the big house. This didn't always happen. So wow. again, we contextualize. It depends on the particular situation. There was also, quote unquote, a Negro preacher for the marriage ceremony. And finally, very important for my um, interest, that she and her husband jumped over the broomstick. So notice here, there's both a preacher, a Baptist preacher, but there's also this idea of jumping over the broomstick or jumping the broom. But there was always music, if that were possible, feasting as much as they could. Mm -hmm. It was a celebration. It, it would be a celebration if it could happen. Now we keep on saying, mm -hmm. well, these marriages weren't legal. The slaveholders knew that. And I maintain it was out of a contradictory benevolence. They allowed their enslaved people to marry out of mockery, out of just saying, well, go ahead and do, go ahead and do it. It doesn't mean anything. You're not legally married. You can be sold anytime. So like we're kind of doing this to humor you. To yes. an extent, like this isn't, you know, if this makes you happy, whatever, go ahead. Because I, I, I think, too, of like those e economic impacts, they have children, then that's, mm -hmm. you know, more people to work on the fields or work in the house or, you know, do the labor on the land instead of maybe having to go outside and find someone or, you know, bring in new people, which. Mm -hmm. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. And, and you're right. It was, 
oh, we'll just let them do it. We still have the power. And so again, the contradictions of slavery, the irony mm-hmm. to allow them, quote unquote, to be married, because they still had that power over the enslaved people. And maybe this is a good time to inject this idea of legal contracts, that we know marriage is a sacrament, a legal contract in mm-hmm. the courts that as chattel slavery, enslaved people could not sign a contract. So it was this marriage was incompatible with the absolute power of the slaveholder. And we always want to keep that in mind. This is so informative, by the way. It really is. Because <laughs> I had no I well, I mean, of course, I knew of this. However, I had no idea that they would allow them to, you know, get married on the porch. I, I guess yes. Of course, when, like whenever we see movies, you know, it's always them either getting married, you know, in the woods or not too far from their homes. And so, yeah, I had no idea that they would allow, you know, like the slave owners would allow them to get married, like on the property itself. Oh, yes. So there were, quote unquote, plantation weddings, plantation weddings mm-hmm. that enslaved people participated in. Hmm. Now, there were preachers, the so-called preachers, and oftentimes the preacher himself, the, the enslaved preacher himself, would know that this marriage is not legal, it's not permanent, that it's not until death do us part it's until we are sold away from each other. Yeah. And so Black preachers performing these ceremonies, they some of them would actually say, until distance do you part or until anyone is removed. They didn't want to say until you were sold, right? Mm, because that's harsh. Wow. That's, that's yeah. harsh to say that in the ceremony. But everyone knew until anyone is removed, means until anyone is sold. Wow. Yeah. So this was an unforgiving reality of the enslaved's marriage. But that did not stop them from falling in love, from courting, as you indicated, Ashley, and from loving each other. Yeah. So speaking about the movies and TV shows um, and how they allude that there was honeymoon Mm -hmm. night where the newlyweds would go back to the same cabin that night. Is this true? If they could, if they could, usually the usually the so-called marriages would take place on a Saturday on the next day, Sunday on most plantations. They didn't work on Sunday for the slaveholder. They worked for themselves. So they they were working constantly. So marriages would take place Saturday afternoons, late on Saturday, because they had to work on Saturday as well. So this so-called honeymoon could take place, or it would simply be their coming together, especially if they were on different plantations, you know, the so-called abroad marriage. And it's amazing that these types 
of marriages actually happen when they didn't see each other every day. But Mm -hmm. again, there were these circumstances that they had to negotiate. Wow. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. And that I forgot that. Well, I think whenever I thought of, you know, like the marriages where they weren't in the same place, it was due to being sold. But I forgot that there's also the possible reality of never being in the same, like being on the same plantation, like, because maybe, you know, he came over when, you know, the, like his master or his, you know, but when he came over to visit, you know, that plantation, maybe he was the driver, maybe Mm -hmm. whatever. So it's in those moments where, you know, Oh, you know, fine looking woman over there, or, you know, young man or what have you. And then that's how those relationships were established. I, I, I don't know why that just wasn't like the first thing that came to my head when thinking about, you know, how they could, how you could be married or how you could even really know someone that you didn't live with at some point, but it's almost like a love at first sight type situation, mm-hmm. you know, because because they didn't see each other every day. And um, as you were talking about, you know, how they would probably see each other once a week, correct? Or like, was it once a week or, you know, um, every Sunday? When they could. When they Sometimes could, okay. Once a week, maybe once a month. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so... Wow. I could not imagine that, especially in today's time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Especially when those circumstances are imposed on you. Of course. By someone else. Yes. Yeah. You have no choice. So were there any elements or do we know if there were any elements um, from these weddings or even within marriages that came from like a ritual or tradition or just something that might've taken place actually in Africa. So like something that we Mm -hmm. brought along with us. That's an excellent question. I got involved in this topic because of my interest, not only connected to historic preservation, social justice, women and gender, but also teasing out this rite of passage called jumping the broom. We're all familiar with this now. Mm -hmm. From popular cultural sources, from the movies, um, Alex Haley's roots had the famous scene, jumping the broom. Maybe that put that on the American scene, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. jumping the broom. And in popular culture, We have the sources, we have articles, blogs, and so on that indicate this wedding ritual practice originated in Africa and it was brought to the antebellum South. But in fact, jumping the broom did not originate in Africa. And I would like to tease this out a little bit that in Africa, traditional Africa, let's say before colonialism and so on and so forth, before slave, before the trans- transatlantic slave trade, 
marriage was a very important rite of passage. We have birth, we have death, uh, we have marriage, we have all kinds of important passages, important moments in our lives. And at that time, marriage was very important. It was too important to simply take a broomstick and jump over it. Does that make sense? Just mm -hmm. even if you don't know anything, think yes. about it. Yes. Okay. You're <laughs> with me. Okay. So marriage was a coming together, not only of the parents, but the family, the clan, the immediate society. Now, this is in pre-colonial African societies. They were formalized sacred rites of passage. And when I did this research, I went to the human uh, relations area files, which has all of this information on all cultures of the world. You focus in on marriage and ritual ceremonies and so on. And there was nowhere could I find any particular society that had jumping the broom as a part of its rite of passage for marriage. In all of Africa, these sacred rites of marriage reflected a cosmology. And by cosmology, I mean a worldview mm -hmm. that it embraces the past. You had to pay homage to the present community. And then you thought about the progeny or the future of those children waiting to be born. Children were so much a part, an important par a part of marriage, as we know, in ancient Africa. Yeah. So therefore, it was just not these two people, unless they were ostracized from the society, and people really didn't elope during those, day, those uh, moments in history, because how could you live by yourself? You needed the society, you needed the village, you needed the community. So there were these elaborate, prolonged wedding ceremonies, and they included feasting, speeches, and music, and dancing, and the exchange of impressive gifts. So these traditional marriage celebrations, they symbolized and sustained economic, social, and cultural, quote-unquote, contracts. In other words, you had an allegiance, not only to your immediate family, but to the village and the clan. So this was this idea that jumping the broom could not do all of that. It could not become or sustain a wedding ritual in ancient Africa. I, I've lived in Africa. I lived in, in Uganda hmm. for many wow. And I had a chance to go to two or three weddings. Now, this was not four or 500 years ago, friends. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> right. This was in the 20th century, at least. Mm -hmm. And actually, I went to a, a ceremony when I went back to Uganda in, the, in 2000, yeah, 2002. I actually went to a, a, a wedding ceremony. It's still very, very elaborate. Hundreds and hundreds of people. But it was still the idea the parents were there, the speeches, the food, you know, it was like an all day thing and it was all night and the next day. I only went to part of it, but I could see all of this going on. And it was just, you know, it was a, by now, of course, there are the contracts. You have to 
you know, have the um, the marriage license, if you will. It, it's a public event in the sense that you go to the town hall and you record the marriage and so on. But it was just a beautiful ritual of coming together of families and the exchange of gifts for the allegiances that involved entire families. So you would ask, well, where does jumping the broom come in? Uh, before we get there, would you have any questions over traditional ancient African marriages or wedding ceremonies? I mean, if you have time to like take us there, by sure. all means, I'm completely here for it. I think, I mean, I, spoiler alert, I, I knew because I've read <laughs> your article. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I, I knew that about Jump in the Broom only through that. I always assumed that it came from Africa. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm, you know, I'm soaking all of this up. So please, please. Okay. I think I always knew that this was like an American tradition or like a Black American tradition, um, very similar to Kwanzaa because Kwanzaa is actually mm-hmm. not celebrated in Africa. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and so, and so right. this is like a Black American tradition. And so I knew that part. But I am very, very interested in hearing, you know, about the traditional weddings in Africa. My dad, he's Liberian. Like, of course, like I know about some, but I don't know about like the different, you know, like, cultures and the different areas of Africa. So, yes. So please <laughs> tell us everything. <laughs> well, I think it's because the broom in global cultures represents the household the domestic context. Mm. And so it's very easy to assign that broom to an African context. But we're looking at jumping the broom as part of a ritualized ceremony. And that ceremony is connected to ontology, an ontological belief, a worldview, if you will, a spiritual view so it's not just secular, this, this marriage ceremony, but it's spiritual before the coming of, of Christianity. Now, how, where, where does this broom then? What, where does this jumping the broom come from? We have to understand that during the transatlantic slave trade, there were also indentured servants coming over to the New World, coming over to the Virginia colonies. And they were also bringing practices with them. And one of the practice, one of the practices they brought was the bison, the bison wedding. That is to say, jumping the broom. And bison means broom. And so this jumping the broom actually has its origins in Welsh, Celtic, and Roma cultural practices that were brought from the British Isles to the southern colonies. And so now in the south. You have this coming together of indentured servants from the British Isles and newly arriving enslaved Africans. And they were really there logistically in close proximity to each other, even before we have clear laws about slavery or who is enslaved and who isn't enslaved. Now, this jumping the broom in the British Isles was very class-oriented. It was considered a non-church or an 
quote unquote irregular church or irregular wedding, not a church wedding, but irregular because, you know, it's class oriented, the poor people who would just Mm -hmm. jump the broom. Hmm. And we have documentation that these um, kinds of weddings were still performed in the 18th and 19th centuries. And they were known about, if not practiced throughout the British Isles. So there is this contact, you know, when we have this Atlantic, transatlantic migration, we have the transatlantic slave, um, uh, yes, passage of slavery, the diaspora, the middle passage. So all of these cultural phenomena are coming together in the South, in the American colonies. Now, after the indentured servants, these whites, eventually they're no longer indentured servants. But Africans are still enslaved, right? So they have taken this this cultural practice and applied it to their particular context because they Mm. didn't have churches to get married and they didn't have contracts, but they believed in marriage. They brought the concept of marriage from Africa, but they did not bring the material reality of the broom, of jumping the broom from Africa. That came from somewhere else. It was introduced into the early context of uh, the transatlantic slavery. It was adapted, it was practiced, and it is what we know now as a beloved um, rite of passage. So we have this cross-cultural and class-oriented transition of jumping the broom. And this all takes place on the antebellum plantation. Wow. I, you're telling me so much that I just did not know that Tania can vouch for me. I'm, I, I'm so speechless and I usually have so much to say after like everything, but I'm just like, I'm really a sponge. I am just taking all of this in. Wow. And it's just mm. like it's just so like interesting to find out, you know, at like, the origin of jumping the broom, um, right? Because you know, like we always talk about it, and it's just, I think we talk about it more as you know, like oh, my parents they jumped the broom, or my grandparents mm. they jumped the broom, but like I don't think we've ever, you know, did a deep dive in, you know, like mm. when did it start, you know, how did it become this tradition that we, you know, actually see today. So, right. Like, is it a thing you do just to do, or is there actually like a reason or a tie? And I think we're finding like with some of the guests that have come on our show and even just with, um, what we've just seen, we, there isn't like a, an ancestral tie, like a, or like a lineage I'll say where, okay, my mom did this and her mom did this or like her parents did this. And then, you know, it's more of, I feel like I want to honor those that came before me. So I'm going to include this in my wedding. We get a few that actually have like, okay, here's a tie. But for the most part, because we were even talking about this recently, even just having a broom, like having a broom that was passed down a lot of people don't. So there are stores on, you know, like your Etsy's and Amazon and things like that, Mm, where you can find like the bedazzled and the like 
the the a modern broom for this purpose. Um, so I think it's, you know, more for us now trying to have that tie, <laughs> but, and even, even those that are doing that, I wonder too, do you like, are we all fully aware of the true history of this? Like, exactly. W- w- you know, instead of just doing it because you feel like you, you know, you know, it's something that was done in the past, you know? Yeah. You know, Ashley, I think people have an idea mm-hmm. of honoring, just like you said, right. to honor those who came before. They may not know the uh, the true origins because we have this popular culture that says it originated in Africa and it's still being perpetuated on, on the internet and popular culture and so on. Right. So it's okay if they don't know. They're do- I'm certain people are doing it to honor the past because they know it's connected with people who had been enslaved. Mm-hmm. So it's an honor. And I really salute that, that practice that we have now. I mean, so many weddings that I've attended and the couple has jumped the broom. As you mm-hmm. said, a broom that they got from Amazon, a very beautiful broom. That they, right. Then, again, this is beauty. This is the velvet, if you will, the pearls. Right. <laughs> Of the wedding ceremony. So it's a cel- it's a celebration because the people who had to jump the broom because they couldn't go down to a church to get married, they were not allowed to have a marriage contract. They were considered chattel, but they refused to surrender to the denunciation of the real marriage. They wanted to endorse, embrace, and recognize their marriages as cultural moral and spiritual unions. And so it was a kind of defiance that they jumped the broom. And that's the empowerment of this new ritual that has been planted in the early colonies among the enslaved communities. And it has become a new kind of tradition. It represents love and kinship because the Enslaved people recognized, just as we saw from the slave narratives, they said, that's my husband, that's my wife. They got married. They recognized that because they did bring from Africa the concept of marriage. And and by the way, also, Tania, you mentioned that sometimes you would hear people say, oh, she jumped the broom. This would become a saying or euphemism. Maybe the person Mm. didn't or the couple didn't actually physically literally jumped the broom, but they got married. It meant they got married. Oh, they gotcha. jumped the broom. Mm. They, they jumped the broom. I don't hear that too much now. Right. No, yeah, we don't hear that at all. Yeah. 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 But you know, maybe in our grandparents' generation and before them, it yes. was like, oh, they just got married. They jumped the broom. Never thought about it gotcha. interchangeably like that. Yeah, because now if people are saying it, it's because it's something they included in their ceremony yes, more exactly. so than to just signify that that's what they did, that they got married. Exactly. Exactly. And so no, at the same time that nowadays, if someone has the jumping the broom ritual in their ceremony, you know, they also have a contract. You know that it could be a church wedding. It could be a Muslim wedding in America. It could be a Baha'i wedding, but it has to, they have to have a license, right? You have to have a license. Mm -hmm. So you have that license. You have the sacred 
or religious context, but you also have that broom. <laughs> and so it's this wonderful coming together, this fusion uh-huh. of beliefs and honoring enslaved people who had who could not have the freedom to, to get married legally. But they were in fact married among themselves. Right. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the freedom to marry really is one of the most fundamental rights of citizenship and humanity. I will marry whom I want. And we know in the last several years, this contested subject of marriage, right? Who can marry legally? Who cannot marry? But marriage is a human rights issue. It's a precept the freedom to marry. Very good point. Yes. I think reiterating that, that it, not everyone could do it. That was even thinking about it now, like in the same way of, you know, including that in your ceremonies and in your wedding day, um, just also being really cognizant and remembering that we have come so far that we can, we can have weddings that look like our peers, our acquaintances, coworkers, people that aren't black, <laughs> um, or of or you know any ethnicity. Like we are now afforded, and not only that, we it is it is seen, you know, as an actual legal like a binding commitment like it's it's not you know there's actual paper for this there's it's it's backed by law yes yes with the legality of Mm -hmm. same-sex marriage and so we have the multicultural same-sex we have the Mm -hmm. lgbtq we have interracial marriages right when i was doing my research on this topic you see all of these different groups. You can see many of them jump the broom at their different kinds, diverse, very diverse wedding celebrations. And so they're still honoring this integrity of enslaved African-Americans who once jumped the broom on the, the antebellum plantation. And so indeed, when mm-hmm. that Supreme Court decision in 2015 recognizes the very fundamental rights, human rights of marriage. I can marry whom I want. And this hasn't been recognized as we know all in the rest of the world or all over the world. Not yet. Right. Very true. So just to bring all of this together, this jumping the broom, we still jump the broom, but we still would like to have this information to be informed. What are the origins? What does it mean now that it is embracing the the spiritual legacies of people who really wanted to empower themselves, that despite the fact that they could be sold away, that they had no control at that moment, at that historical moment, there still was this determination of the heart and this fortitude to say, we are married. 
and they wouldn't surrender to the denunciation, to the legal jurisprudence that said you cannot marry legally. So they defied that. And that's why we still have this memory, this historical memory of jumping the broom. So it's very powerful. And I just love seeing the different brooms if you go on the internet. <laughs> Maybe some of them are really um, very, very dramatic. <laughs> yes, they really <laughs> they can, are. They can be. <laughs> yes, they can be. You, yeah. you wonder who would use a broom like this to sweep the floor. <laughs> yeah. But they're not for that. They're only for jumping over. Right. And it's like a thing that maybe it's, you know, in a corner of a house or it's, you know, like a decorative element above a mantle or something exactly. afterwards, you know, it's, it's like a focal point. Um, Cause yeah, no one's going to like Walmart and just grabbing <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Like, oh, no. a, like a straw broom <laughs> for their ceremony. It's, you know, adds the velvet and the beading, like we were saying in the, all the appliques that you would see maybe on the gown, like her gown, or maybe, you know, taking elements from the wedding decor and mm -hmm. encompassing that. Yeah. 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 Well, my daughter jumped the broom. You know? Yes, that's right. Yeah, she that's jumped. Yeah. We oh. were limited at her wedding because of the pandemic. We were very mm -hmm. limited with how many people guests could come. We only could have eight people at that time. Mm. in california um but she jumped the broom wow. <laughs> I love now yeah. question with your daughter like did you have a broom already that you just passed down to her or or did she have to purchase one oh no she would not have taken something passed down for me what <laughs> oh no she, she decorated her own broom okay. and i could i could certainly uh, send you all a photograph if you would like to use it yeah, that'd be right. Yes, for sure. But she did, um, I believe you were speaking, Ashley, about people decorating and using something from the wedding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what she did. And her aunt, uh, my sister, mm -hmm. has passed on and wasn't able to mm. be at the wedding. But we had a very special arrangement of flowers that had once belonged to my sister. Oh, And so that was put on the broom as keepsake, as a memory. And so you're right. People oh. do and take certain beautiful decorative things and put on the broom that's yeah. connected to family and memory. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's beautiful. Side note, are y'all going to have like a bigger reception later or was well, that? Well, <laughs> yeah. you that? Okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> they were planning to, but guess what happened? I the pandemic I again or no I became a grandmother so was about, okay that was gonna be my second that was gonna be my second guess. Oh, baby congratulations. congratulations thank you thank you <laughs> nope the baby came and all of that went out the window happy yes. birthday <laughs> yeah a beautiful little girl who's Aww. named after Maya Angelo. Oh, wow. beautiful. Oh, beautiful. Oh, I love Thank that. You. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but there, yes, a, a larger reception was planned, but for a better reason now, we, you know, we're not having it. Or they're yes. not having of it. course. Of yes. course. Yes. yes. We, we celebrate it. first. <laughs> yes. Yes. There was another kind of celebration. Oh, definitely. Oh, 
<laughs> so Dr. Reyes, last question. Yes. Um, what cultural elements from these weddings do we see today? Or like, what have you seen mm-hmm. um, other than, of course, jumping the broom that, you know, that is brought into marriages today? I think it's the idea of happiness, of people coming together, of celebration. For example, the pandemic has limited us having that coming together, the celebration. Some uh, people have Zoom weddings, right? And I guess if you're really involved with Zoom and do it so often, you, um, hey, you say, well, this is what I have to communicate with. And so it's not entirely off the grid to have a Zoom wedding. At least people can see it. And then there's that feeling that's a happiness for the couple. So despite what we're going through now with the pandemic, weddings are still a celebration or marriages. I make the distinction, the marriage is the institution, the wedding is the ceremony. And so we, we want to celebrate both and they come together. And there is this, this sense of, hey, we're happy at this moment, regardless of what happens in the future, regardless. And so this is a legacy that we embrace. This is still the legacy that we embrace. I think I would like to think that. Of course. Family and friends, the feasting, the giving of gifts, the fashions, um, waiting for the next generation, I like to call it, um, waiting to see those who are coming Mm -hmm. um, into the next generation, waiting to be born. Yeah, it's it's still, I would like to think it's still a celebration, even Mm -hmm. if we um, are limited, even if we're still limited because of the pandemic or other circumstances. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely see that. Mm -hmm. We could stay and talk to you all night long i just want you to know <laughs> we have enjoyed this so so much we have, um, we have. i've enjoyed this thank you thank oh, you for your your comments oh yes thank you for your knowledge and just understanding of this time and being able to walk us through it oh yes. my gosh oh my gosh we're just thankful. I'm going to say it a thousand more times. We're I know, thankful I know. for you to come on. And I'm thankful. I'm definitely thankful for this opportunity to share, to share this. It's, oh. it's been fun. It really has been. Perfect. Yes. Well, now we're going to move towards our wedding vendor love. Yes. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Reyes, who would you like to shout out this week? I would like to shout out the name of Christopher Wilm, W-I-L-M, a wedding photographer in San Diego area. Fantastic, really wonderful, beautiful photographs, wonderful, just great. I would also like to shout out La Valencia Hotel. Uh, We were there during the pandemic. And the hotel management was extraordinary, especially considering they had restrictions too because of California uh, guideline, pandemic guidelines at that time. But they really were incredible. And they just made us feel so welcome, even in the context of the pandemic. Oh, that's good. I, I would definitely, La Valencia, 
And I also want to shout out about the National Trust for Historic Preservation. They have fantastic articles about reckoning with plantation weddings, revisiting this topic, including my own essay, Antebellum Plantation Weddings Among Enslaved Men and Women. Yes, I definitely encourage everyone to read that. It was such a great piece to read. And even I think if you've listened to this episode, it still gives you a little more context. I mean, both, I mean, pair very well together in my opinion, but you again, like provided so much information that I just wasn't aware of. And I'm sure that I'm not alone. (laughs) Definitely not alone. Yeah. (laughs) Ashley, who would you like to shout out this week? I am shouting out a hairstylist based in Queens, New York. Um, She can get your hair together for your wedding or just to get your hair together. Her name is Misa and her Instagram and her website is Hair by Misa. um, H-A-I-R-B-Y-M-I-S-A. And great, great work here. She knows how to do natural hair knows how to do, um, or meaning like if you want to silk press and you have natural hair, you know, she, she'll get you together. So if you really want like a kind of a good classic or traditional hairstyle for your wedding day and you're in the Queens area, I will look up Misa. Who are you shouting out this week, Tania? So this week I'm going to shout out an Atlanta photographer and videographer. His name is Mike. You can find him on IG at Mike.ShotMe. It's M-I-K-E-D dot S-H-O-T-M-E. If you are in need of a photographer or a videographer for your big day, or if you want some portraits done or some branding shoots done, definitely reach out to him. Again, that's Mike.ShotMe. Perfect. Perfect. Um, where can people find you if they want to know more, if they want to learn more, where can they go to do so? Oh, all right. Um, the website is literacyinteractives.org. And we have all of our information there, mm-hmm. um, their reading lists, their references, all kinds of videos you can connect to on uh, this whole idea of interactive social justice and social transformation. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and chatting with us tonight. (sighs) It was certainly a treat to have you talk about the subject. I love, yes, I love history. And I think you were the right person to yes. you know to be on today <laughs> to talk about this <laughs> because not Thank only you. did you like just give us you know the history of course mm-hmm. but you actually gave us some references as well right and I think you know that was just perfect for this and so thank you thank you thank you Thank you. Again, listeners, thank you so much for, you know, listening, supporting us. Please head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or go to Spotify, give us some stars. If you ever wanted to find anyone that has ever been shouted out on this show and all 300 plus wedding vendors that have been shouted out, which is a wild to even think of, but you will be able to find them on find.huidu.com. So if you 
don't remember what we said, or you're listening to an episode later and you want to look that person up, or maybe you don't remember how to spell their name or what have you, you can always go there and easily find them. So just a little mental note. But Tania, where can people find us? You can find us on whoido.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok. And you can find Ashley at Demi Tosh on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me at Belle Story on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you again. We'll be back. See y'all next week.